We're talking about the power of gentle persuasion. Yeah. Interesting passage in the book of Proverbs that says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break a bone. We were talking about that at the early service. It was observed that gentleness is surprisingly powerful. It's out of character to what what seems to be able to happen. Gentleness is deeply effective. Gentle persuasion seems like a lost art. In some contexts, like politics, all that's needed to change is, all you need to do is change somebody's vote. Um, religion is a different story. With respect to faith, it's necessary to change somebody's heart, not just their vote not just to change what they do on the outside, but what they feel and think on the inside. God doesn't judge our deeds. He judges the things that aren't immediately apparent. He judges our thoughts and attitudes, or to put it another way, he judges our heart. Forcefulness can change somebody's mind, but it can't change their heart. It takes gentleness for the heart to change for change to occur at that level where God assesses change. Got to be heart deep. We're going to talk about the persuasion that changes the heart. We're going to talk about the power of gentle persuasion. We're going to think about in this uh, different passages, but we're going to think about Paul's first, Paul's actually Paul's second letter to Timothy. That's his final communication. We think that happened. Paul wrote that toward the end of his life. It's the last known example of his writing that we have in his last visit to the elders in Ephesus. And this is where Timothy, his apprentice, was located in that last letter. Um, Paul predicted that the church would face grave threats in the future. Um, he says, um, I know that after I leave, he writes to this, the group of elders who were there, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So Paul looks forward to the time where he's going to be, he's not going to be available. And he says, you guys are really going to hit it. And he was right. He ends up saying um, that there was a member, well, it says in 1 Timothy, he talks about what happened. Um, it says, some have rejected these. And so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus must have been a church, not just a member of the church, but a member of the church leadership who ended up pulling against Paul and taking some of the sheep with him, which is to say he was a shepherd, not just a sheep. He was somebody who claimed to speak for God and to represent God. And what he did, he started to pull against Paul and pull sheep with him. Uh, what happens in 1 Timothy is Paul then tells them he is not to be included in the fellowship here. Paul was really concerned when someone came in and misrepresented the truth, when somebody acted immorally, 
And Paul had an issue with that. But when somebody misrepresented the truth, Paul's reaction was far more severe. He really was concerned when somebody misrepresented the truth of the gospel, because what Paul believed is that change comes as we behold the truth of the gospel. It's the way that glory changes things. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, he saw God's glory. Seeing that glory changed him. And God has created us in such a way that when we behold his message clearly, make room for it in our heads, getting that message in our heads, seeing then the glory, not visually, but knowing what God is saying, he made us in such a way that perceiving the truth changes us. Now, the deal with the old covenant is that it did promote change. But the change was skin deep and short-lived. Moses went up on the mountain, saw God's glory. He was changed. And as he was coming down from the mountain, it was the glory was subsiding. It was fading. Old Testament, Old Covenant glory is skin deep and short-lived. Can you seek to obey God's commandments in order to be blessed? And can that change you? And the answer is yes, it can. Skin deep for a little while, but the change that reflects deeply, it has to be, we have to see the truth, not of the old covenant, but of the new. And that's what Paul was very, very committed to. Um, He ends up then in Paul's second letter to Timothy, Hymenaeus, I guess, is still active and operative. They haven't pushed him out yet. Maybe Timothy has, and we don't know what happened. But anyway, Paul does, he says this in the last second Timothy, do your best, he says to Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He tells Timothy who is the, he put in charge there in Ephesus in the church, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. With the threat of Hymenaeus in mind, Paul encourages Timothy to deal with this threat head on. And when he tells them, he warns Timothy to avoid godless chatter. What he warns him against is getting pulled into maybe seemingly important, but discussions and quarrels based on minor things. What Paul communicates to Timothy in these final letters as someone who is a shepherd, he says, don't major on minors. If you major on minors, what's going to happen is people are going to get involved in all of these discussions and godless chatter and these seemingly important but not important inquiries, people thinking about this, thinking about that, not major things, and it ends up splitting um, what Paul and end up gutting what Paul is doing. He warns him not to get pulled into quarrels. He says, avoid godless chatter because they don't lead in a good direction. That is what he says. You bet godless chatter, inane arguments, quarrelless fightings, what Paul says, in the end, when the dust clears, no one is in a more godly place. No one is. Now, 
it might not seem that way, but what Paul's assessment is everyone has moved to a more godless place. So at the end of the score, the score is godliness zero and godlessness runs up the score. That's what happens when there's a lot of arguments and fightings. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, stay away from empty sounding arguments. Um, Paul will talk about general instruction and we'll look at that. But first he commands firm restriction. Here's what he says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made youth, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. In the context to cleanse himself from the latter, he seems to be suggesting to tune out somebody who claims to speak for God but doesn't do so. I think in the context, that's what he's saying. So to cleanse from the latter, in terms of Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, you need to break off your conversations with Hymenaeus and Philetus. It's not going to lead in a good direction. It's going to pull everyone into godliness. So he tells to Timothy, you got to put, you got to put a barrier up. Now, it's not the barrier that he's going to put towards the sheep. The sheep are to be treated and instructed gently. But if there are shepherds among the sheep who are misrepresenting what Paul is telling Timothy, you need to put a wall against that because that's not going to lead in a good direction. There's, he describes, he tries to get him to firm, firm restriction. Paul tells Timothy to separate himself from Hymenaeus. Remember what Paul said about people like him. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. What Paul sees with respect to somebody who claims to speak for God as a shepherd who misrepresents him in a group, that's a wolf. A wolf in sheep's clothing is a wolf. Well, we've talked about this before. I really like it. I remember the cartoons. You remember the cartoons, don't you? You know, with Ralph the sheepdog, and maybe some of you do Ralph the sheepdog, and I think it was Wiley Coyote, wasn't it? And so they would check in at the day when they were both doing their thing in the, among the flock. And, and so, hi, Sam, hi, Ralph, you know, and they would check in. And then uh, Ralph, the sheepdog, would protect the flock. And Wiley Coyote, I think it was, he would, remember, remember what he looked like? He would, he would dress up like a sheep. And you could always tell because this sheep had really long legs and like this puffball thing. And so what you'd see is the sheep go, you know, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's a wolf that looks like a sheep. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, then they pop a sheep and, and then Ralph the sheepdog will get there and then club him. And then anyway, um, we talked about it before that um, the, the interesting thing about that is that a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing is not a wolf dressed up like a sheep because sheep don't wear sheep's clothing. Shepherds wear sheep's clothing. So a wolf in sheep's clothing is not a wolf dressed up like a sheep. It's a wolf dressed up like a shepherd. And so those who are pillaging the flock are not only in the flock, they're in charge. And that's what, that's what Paul was concerned about. And again, we've talked about this too. It, it's really true. Wolves don't hate sheep. They don't 
No, they just need to eat them. And that's the, and nothing personal. I just need to eat you. So it seems to be the same thing in terms of spiritual leadership. Somebody who needs to use the obedience of the flock to satisfy their own appetite to be important. And that's what Paul saw, that that is a really desperate situation, not necessarily for the false shepherd, but for the sheep. And what Paul tells Timothy, you've got to deal with a guy like that directly and this firm restriction. So here's a question. Uh, Paul saw that there were wolves around, savage wolves. How do you deal with a wolf? And a wolf meaning somebody who's going to misrepresent the word in order to draw away people after him. How do you deal with a wolf? It really depends, on, doesn't it? It depends on whether you are a shepherd or a sheep. So if you're a shepherd, how do you deal with a wolf? If you're in a position of spiritual responsibility for a flock, what you do with the wolf is you put a barrier as directly as you can. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, set up a barrier. You have to get rid of that guy. Paul says, I'm going to get rid of him, but Timothy didn't follow through, apparently. What about if you're a sheep? If you're a sheep and there are wolves, what does a sheep need to do? When you think of it, there's not much a sheep can do to deal with the wolf. You know, you could try to bleed it away. You know, bah, bah, you know, I know that's not that's not going to get rid of the wolf. If you're a, if you're a sheep and there's a wolf around, you know what you need? What do you need? You need a shepherd, because it's the shepherd's job to deal. With. So, if with respect to sheep, then uh, in order to deal with the wolf, find a good shepherd. Uh, find a place then where someone you trust tells the truth, and then stay there. And again, this is what Paul tried to do. He tried to get Paul, he tried to get people to stay in the places where the people he trained were speaking. But people, it was easy for individuals to draw people away because they said, ah, Paul is just wanting to keep you in place because he wants to control you and we don't want to control you. And so come over here with us. And and Paul had a difficult time keeping people because they mistrusted his motives because what he'd say is remain. Keep coming back because he knew that he knew the truth about who God was. And he would tell people that, but you can't force sheep to stay. And that's the thing that Paul found out. Um, It's more difficult than it might seem to create a place of safety. Look what it says. There's an interesting verse. Paul says in the last chapter of his book, I give you this charge, he says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So it says, the time will come. Paul does some predicting. And he predicts what will happen to religion in the years, centuries, and millennia to come. Here's what he says. Time will come when men and women will not put up with sound doctrine. They won't have the patience for it. They won't have the ability to sit still and listen to it. Here's what it says. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Here's the problem in the Bible. 
if you think about God transmitting a message, it takes two things, doesn't it? For a message to be sent and received, you need a transmitter and you need receivers, right? A transmitter with no receiver, a receiver with no transmitter, doesn't work. In the Bible, most of the time, the, the, the fault is laid at the feet of transmitters. Those who claim to speak for God, but misrepresent him when you think of Jesus. Did Jesus have more issues with those who were receiving or those who were falsely transmitting the message? When you think of who did Jesus have the biggest issue with? If you were a prostitute, a tax collector, or gatherer, it all depends what your attitude was. But if you were a Pharisee, Jesus saw that as a false transmitter. And he had all kinds of issues with people who claimed to speak for God from misrepresent. That's who he had fights with. Um, so in the Bible, you see that a lot. But what Paul says here, and it's a, pro it's a problem enough to have transmitter issues. You know, places you go, you don't know if you can hear it or not. What Paul predicts is going to be in, in the times to come, they're going to be receiver issues. And here's the problem with receivers. It's going to be really difficult to get people to tune into one station. Do you remember the way it was back in Ot six? It used to be no joke. It no joke. There really used to be a dial on radios, and you couldn't see numbers. Anybody remember that? You know, you tune, and then it was it wasn't precise, and you know, a lot of the times you try to get the station, and you go, you know. And then you just turn it, and then it just zips over to the other side, and then you try to tune it back, and it's really hard to tune in the station. What Paul sees is that the time will come when people will have religious radios, and they will not be able not to channel surf. Station, 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 station. I don't like that guy. This ah, oh, this sounds good. I don't like that guy. And flipping, flipping. Anybody know anybody who channel surfs? Yeah, okay, I see some. You know, so some of us are channel surfers with respect to TV. What Paul says in the time to come, people are going to be channel surfers with spiritual speakers. Speaker, 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 speaker. I don't like what that guy says. Be, oh, that feels good. You know, say things to tickle their ears. You know, when you tickle the ear of a dog, you know what they do if you get the right spot. You know, you know, you get that thing happening. Um, that's what tickling the ear seems. And so, what happens in the times to come? Well, how people are going to judge whether a teacher should be listened to if it makes their foot tap. Does it tickle my ear? And what's it going to happen? People are going to get so addicted to ear tickling that they're not going to be able to sit still and hear truth. They're going to have to move here and there and there. And that's what Paul describes. And that's what he gets concerned about. Uh, Paul introduces, again, a, a newer problem. Uh, people will look to be entertained rather than be instructed. And with respect to judging what that is like. You know what Paul calls that? Spiritually channel surfing. He calls it childish. He calls it childish. As something that children do. Again, I don't think he's being, he's not being harsh, but he's being accurate. Talks about when you've got individuals that fight a lot and move from one thing to another. Would you agree? That's what children are supposed to do. 
You know, they jump from this to that. And that's what we love about kids. They, you know, kids fight all the time, don't they? I'm telling mom, you know, and then, then and I'm, the kids flip from this to that, to this, to that. You know why? Because they're kids. That's appropriate. But when kids grow up, it's, it's supposed to change a little bit. To be able to restrict an immediate reaction. To be able to hold their tongue a little bit. That's, that's what's associated with adulthood. Um, and this is what Paul talks about. Flee the evil desires of youth. People talk about this as the evil desires of youth are lust. That's not what this is talking about. You know what the evil desires of youth are? Novelty. Tell me something different. Tell me something to scratch my ear. That's the evil desires of youth. It's things that lead to um, novelties, foolish discussions, arguments. I'm telling mom! That's what he's talking about. place where all kinds of fights are happening, where there's bedlam. In Paul's opinion, fighting is childish. And that's what he's trying to get Timothy not to do. It just leads to ungodliness. Gentle instruction is characteristic of the adults at the table. I think that's what he ends up saying. Look what he says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel must not fight, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Interestingly, that word instruct there, it's the word for child instruction. And what it indicates, those who are at the adults of the table, are not going to get pulled into a shouting argument by somebody functioning childishly. Somebody's going to say, you're awful, you're bad. And the adult at the table is supposed to have a more measured reaction. No, I'm not. That's, that's not the adult at the table. The adult at the table is, sounds like you have an issue. We're the gentle one, the one who will not be reactive. And what Paul says in the final days, there's not going to be a lot of that around. A lot of reactivity. Um, says, in the hope that those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. They will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. With respect to those who desire to serve God, quarreling is forbidden. Apparently, quarreling and fighting, you can change somebody's surface thoughts for a little while, you can't change their heart. You can't quarrel somebody into long-lasting, heart-deep change. And that's what God's judging. That's what God's going to assess. Um, gentleness is strength under control. When you think of a gentle shepherd, a gentle shepherd is somebody appropriately gentle with sheep and appropriately harsh with wolves. And that's what gentleness looks like and apply to church leadership. Um, with respect to majoring on the minors, then find a place that doesn't do that. 
That's what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. Don't get stuck with majoring on minors. If you do, then the individuals who are wanting to create chaos will talk about how many angels to put on the head of a pen. And, you know, have you been baptized by immersion or by sprinkling? And things like that. We have come and, and this has become so much. I've told you this before. I looked at Wikipedia once and I tried to Christian denominations. How many? And I, I think I've told you, I think it went up. I, I, I saw 45,000. That's what I saw. Again, did they stop? No, but, and then I looked again and it said there's 50,000. No, I believe. Something like that. But when you think about 45, let's say that's true. 45 or 50,000 Christian denominations. Let's say that's true. What that means, since the time of the church, there's been a church split every six months, if it's 45,000. Every six months. No, it's not this, it's that. So if you're on that side of it, you're going to be that. And if you're on this side, you're going to do this. And majoring on minors. And you know what Paul tells Timothy? Don't get pulled into that. In the final analysis, you're going to win battles, but lose the war. Because you cannot quarrel someone into heart-deep knowledge of the truth. Major on majors, that's what Paul tells them to do. Um, gentle instruction is necessary. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. And that's what we're going to unpack in the weeks to come. Kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Though the word instruct, again, used to the word for instructing children. Uh, gentleness is strength under control. This might seem like a weak response to a grave threat. Really might. You know, there's all kinds of seriously grave, threatening things. And gentle instruction seems like a weak response, frankly. Um, it makes more sense when we understand what the solution is. Look what it says. In the hope, in halfway through 25, that God will grant them repentance. That God will grant them repentance. Is God going to grant them repentance if we argue with them. No. If God's going to grant them repentance, it will be because somebody gently instructed them, was able to teach, not resentful. Um, how the God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth, and they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, which taking them captive to do his will. You know what this is picturing? You remember the prodigal son? Dad's all this, dad's all that, and he just couldn't get away from it. He couldn't get away from it. He saw his older brother, the, the more he saw him, and the more he, he saw what the father was asking about, the madder he became, and he just couldn't, it was insatiable. <laughs> And he finally said, give me my inheritance. And he gave him his inheritance. And he went off and got involved in a famine. And all kinds of things fell apart. And what ended up happening, you know the story. He was eating things that pigs eat. And then he, it just hit him. Something that no one could have argued into his head. Here's what he thought. Eating this. And then he says, wait a minute. My dad felt fed his servants. And for the first time, he saw his father. And you know what ended up happening when he saw his father? He couldn't be bullied into it, but he saw him. And you know what it says? He came to his senses. 
And what he had? A moment of clarity. You know what that moment of clarity led him to do? You know the, you know the strength of a moment of clarity, don't you? If you're in a place and you understand, I'm going over this way and it's not working, and you see it because it comes to you, you know what you're going to be able to do? Okay, I'm going to tell you the definition of a word. Okay, Here you're walking towards a place where just... And you come to a place and you understand you have a moment of clarity and you see, wait a minute, this is not going to lead me to where I want to go. I'm going to go in a different direction. You know what that's called? This thing right here? Repentance. That's repentance. Repentance isn't no, 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 no. It's not looking at what's wrong. Repentance is a change in mind leading to a change in direction. It's when the prodigal son sees that and says, this is who I'm serving now, and this is who I used to, and so he walks back to his father. That's repentance. Repentance is not focused on where you don't want to go. It's focused on where you do want to go. And sometimes our faith is all tied up with not that, not that, not that, not that. Don't go there. Stay away from there. And you know what we don't clarify? Where are we going? Where are we heading? You know what God says? That when we understand who he is and what he's like and move towards him because he is gentle and humble in heart and we'll find rest for him. That's what we'll talk about. That's what he wants us to head towards. Um, it seems like a weak response, but God needs to grant repentance and knowledge of the truth. Not just the right message, but the right manner. You can't bully somebody into this. The truth of the gospel in harsh tones, to try to say that God is gentle, and Jesus is gentle in harsh tones, you know what that's like? That's putting new wine in old skins. Do you remember that? Do you remember what he says about that? If you put new wine in old skins, the new message of reconciliation in a harsh container, you remember what he says happens? Is, is that okay for the skins? Is it okay for the wine? It's not okay for either of them. It wrecks it. To try to put truth in an angry, hostile container is putting new wine in old skins. Again, um, that's what Paul is trying to get Timothy to um, move away from. Separate from those who claim to represent God but misrepresent him. That's number one, firm restriction. But with respect to those on the inside, Timothy, lighten up. Gentle. Gentle instruction, because that's going to get the job done. Rather than being argumentative and reactive, Paul urged Timothy to respond gently. This is presenting the right message in the right manner, and it's the manner Paul used. And we'll continue to think about what he says to Timothy and Second Timothy, another thing with respect to this in the future. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thanks for letters like this where we can plug into and listen to conversations between Timothy and Paul, Paul and Timothy. We can hear him say things to Timothy about what was it was like in that day. There were wolves, and what would happen in times to come, like the time we live in. People will channel surf spiritually and be addicted to it. Again, would you yeah, help us to dial in? who you are, find a place that reflects that, and hang there, wherever that place be.
but you are gentle and humble in heart, and the place that reflects you would be a place where um, the load is lifted, not put on. Thanks for um, being a good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.